He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Kia ora, I'm Philippa Tolley and welcome to Insight. New Zealand's hospitals need billions spent on them to bring them up to scratch, but until now, nobody knew the scale of the problem. The country's first ever national stock take of hospital buildings and assets is finally in the hands of the government. The next step is to work out what it can do to improve old, cramped, rotting and potentially dangerous clinical blocks. The information will provide a huge opportunity to bring our top-level health facilities up to standard, but achieving that ideal could be tricky. The costs are enormous and the timing amid the tumult around coronavirus and an election year is difficult. Phil Pennington goes inside our hospitals to explore what it will take to save them. Waitakere Hospital. Main building, walls and cladding, fair condition, estimated replacement time, 10 plus years. Taranaki Hospital, central block, roofing and decking, poor. The stock take list is long, it's unique and it was well overdue when handed over in recent weeks to the government. The self-assessment of their building stock by 20 district health boards is gathered now for the first time in one place at the Ministry of Health and released to Insight. It runs to 600 pages and 25,000 items, from windows and doors to entire walls and roofs to plumbing and electrical systems. Estimated replacement time, 10 plus years. Reefton Hospital. Half of the items that are rated are rated good or very good, but the other half are average or worse, with 1,100 poor or very poor. Categories 4 or 5, meaning the item is unusable or failure is imminent, or they could pose a threat to people's well-being. Middlemore Hospital. Colvin Building Rehabilitation and Wards, roofing and decking, very poor. Estimated replacement time, 0 to 2 years. Nelson Those figures sound quite healthy, except that 14,000 of the 25,000 listings haven't been given any rating. There's zero information on the condition of the item, though the Health Ministry says that's not significant and no barrier to planning. In addition, more than 150 buildings or facilities have widespread seismic or fire protection problems and 60 have asbestos problems, all of which await in-depth assessment. Plus, this list does not cover any critical medical blocks which are being assessed separately or cover any building scheduled to be replaced. Southern DHB, Wakari, main block. Mid-Central District Health Board in Manawatu has 36 assets rated very poor, mostly due to faults with electrics. Its biggest problems, Palmerston North Hospital's emergency department, operating theatres and intensive care are not on the stock take list. So what is the true state of play at Palmerston North? Dr Alberto Ramirez is the lead anaesthetist at Palmerston North Hospital. He got in around seven this morning. It's a brilliant blue day, but not a scrap of sunlight gets into the windowless operating theatre suite. This is the main part of the changing rooms where most of the senior doctors get changed. So I meet all my colleagues here first thing in the morning, uh, 7, 7.30, uh, and it could be eight or ten of us uh, standing here getting changed. So this 
uh, it's about 130 wide from locker to lock locker yeah. uh, and uh, maybe you know six meters long uh, it's cramped we bump into each other um, we have to share lockers because there's no love lockers and privacy is a major issue because the doors are straight out of the corridors where all the staff go past so if I open here, literally it's bang straight into the opening of Theatre 6, um, which is a major general surgical theatre. You see, this is the only way to actually uh, ensure privacy. This curtain? Yeah. Around the door? Yeah, a patient walking down the corridor here. So if you had the door open and the curtain wasn't there, what would they see? Your parts. Has that ever happened? Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> Dr Ramirez has worked in these conditions for 16 years, overseeing 40 or so staff. He still has a ready laugh. He, he so just tell it. me, you took, who did you take in there? Oh, the Minister of Health came with us. I personally showed them into the, the, the changing room on the toilets. What did he make of it? Uh, he was not very impressed. But it has now become all too much. Late last year, he and 80 senior doctors wrote a letter to the Mid-Central Board and the Health Minister warning they could no longer assure patients' dignity, comfort or safety. Dr Ramirez leads me through the corridors that lead to the operating theatres. They're much too narrow by modern standards, and that's made even worse by every spare bit of wall being taken up with parked equipment. Most of them are uh, trolleys, mobile trolleys, with equipment that is going to be needed at different times in the operating theatre pieces of uh, extensions for... There's a serious lack of storage. Other hospitals, like Starship Children's in Auckland, have the same problem. It raises both stress levels and the chance of an accident. Anaesthetic, full anaesthetic machines, portable and permanent fridges and freezers, um, resuscitators, like for babies when they're born, so that we use this to make sure the babies are warm and they're well monitored as soon as they're born. Laparoscopic machines, so these are used for um, a keyhole surgery, um, and again, we have nowhere else to, to, um, to store them. The theatres themselves are 20% smaller than the Australasian standard, with ceilings only the height of a regular room. We've got first uh, obsolete, very old facilities that are not fit for purpose. And are we standing in one of those here? Oh, we are. As you can see, uh, these are low ceilinged. They are, have got materials that cannot be properly cleaned, like wood. Um, uh, the, the height of the ceiling means that we cannot uh, have proper operating lights. We, it's even a, a danger for the staff because we keep bumping our heads on the operating light. They're much lower, therefore they cannot swing the way they, they should swing and, and to be positioned in the way they should be optimally positioned. But is it unsafe for patients? Well, we are all here about minimising patient risk. Therefore, um, I, I do believe that due to um, staff's attitude, hard work and flexibility, um, sometimes going beyond anything imaginable, has created still a safe environment for patients. But it's very difficult to continue on that line. Just the, the, the width of these corridors means that uh, uh, patients, you can imagine two trolleys, two patient trolleys wheeled one each way. We've got to be extremely slow and careful because we'll be bumper to bumper. What can't be mitigated is the risk to patients' quality of life. The hospital has only seven theatres, fewer per capita than any other region. They must put emergencies and urgent surgery ahead of a pain-relieving hip replacement.
Across a cheap formica table in the cave-like staff room, Dr Ramirez shakes his head when asked about the worst part. For the last five to ten years, it's been, it's been hard. It's been hard coming to work and coming to work in these circumstances. We can only do so much. Hmm? Therefore, we've got to disappoint patients on a regular basis. It's very emotional. It's, it doesn't matter how professional we are and how, uh, uh, how much we've got to be cold about these things and treat them in a, in a, in a very clinical manner. It affects us psychologically, affects us mentally, um, uh, and affects the whole of the staff in a, in a great manner. Um, but what can we do? What they do is to make do. In the emergency department that was designed for 17,000 patients but is handling three times that number. In the intensive care unit, a long lift ride away from surgery and atop a five-storey block at risk in a major earthquake. In a dialysis unit designed for 10 patients a day and seeing 20, including in what was a maintenance room. This, I mean, for example, this is where the rooms that we do high dependency one-to-one nursing and things in there, so you know, that's right next to the nursing and medical station. So uh, short of needing to do intubation, ventilation, that sort of thing, this is where the kids are looked at. Dr Jeff Brown, a paediatrician and the hospital's acting chief medical officer, is in the children's ward. The kids' voices, the decor, the tone are all light and bright. But the constraints in a tower block that is only 55% of earthquake code are many. Out there, looked after by an astounding team of nurses and doctors, uh, dietitians, physios, focused on giving the best care for those kids and their families. But... Is there enough room for the families to be with their kids? No. We have 22 beds. In the middle of winter, we can have 24, 26 kids when I turn up in the morning. We would have enough for probably 16 to 18 parents where they can actually have a, a bed or a chair beside a bed. And especially at a time when contagious illness is top of mind, the ward does not have a special room used to prevent cross-contamination. The building makes it more difficult. We don't have, for example, a negative pressure room in the children's ward. So we manage that by where we place some children, by the staff that get assigned, by the road cones we put up to make certain that we are sufficient metres away. We put them around the door. In the mental health unit, again, a lack of space as well as sunlight and privacy. The clinical executive, Dr Vanessa Caldwell, says their patients face an obstacle course just to get admitted in the first place. Every day we are confronted by uh, the constraints in our current setup in our facility, particularly um, in relation to um, people in distress who, uh, who may need a hospital admission, who present at um, our emergency department people who are already in crisis and are greatly distressed, being, um, you know, escorted through the, the grounds, um, you know, having to go to various places just to get their needs met in that immediate sense, long wait periods because of that traffic. The Chief Ombudsman this month underlined just how untenable cramped mental health care is in a scathing report on Waikato Hospital. The stress brought on by Palmerston North's buildings is impinging on patients' well-being and stressing out the staff, who talk about it in exit interviews with Alberto Ramirez. It's a constant theme. 
Yes, of the, the, the poor state of the facilities, it's difficult to work in this place, the pressures are great, we feel stressed about it, it you know, it's, it's, it's all amounting. Yes, to the point that we, we, we do lose people uh, for that reason, yes, correct. Auckland City Hospital, main building, hot water, poor. Estimated replacement time, zero to two years. Taranaki Base Hospital, acute services building, high number of seismic and fire separation issues. The squeeze on hospital space is taking surprising forms. It's actually coming more at a personal cost to our members, I would say. Sarah Dalton heads up the Association of Salaried Medical Specialists and hears stories from the coalface from the 5,000 senior doctors who are members. They are witnessing the erosion and quality of non-clinical spaces where staff write reports, order tests and so on. So we had a couple of cases at 1DHB earlier this year because they'd been working um, in prefabs that had no running water supply at the time. Um, a couple of the doctors actually ended up as patients themselves through um, dehydration-related kidney problems. The DHBs worked really hard to rectify it, but what I would say is that it took us to threaten legal action to get them to do it. And it's not just a problem with old buildings. What we're finding in new builds is typically the funding for the new builds isn't quite enough for whatever it is that the hospital's hoping to achieve, or the DHB. So the first things to go are the non-clinical staff spaces and the sleeping accommodation for staff. I mean, go to Waitamata DHB and ask them to see their sleeping accommodation for senior doctors. They won't be able to show you much, if any. There's a couch somewhere, I believe. Her association warned late last year, in its report Hospitals on the Edge, that doctors felt a palpable sense of dread at what's in store this coming winter, especially for emergency departments. Coronavirus preparations on top of seasonal flu are certain to make that worse. The emergency department at Whangarei Hospital is handling 41,000 patients a year when it's equipped for just 21,000. It has no paediatric section and no acute assessment unit. Inside has obtained an assessment done by Northland DHB of all its infrastructure. It makes grim reading. Assets approaching or at end of life. Increasingly high risk of failure, health and safety risk. Run to failure, not fit for purpose. Overcrowded, compromising clinical care. Portfolio in an advanced state of deterioration. Lack of funds to address maintenance. The assessment says the clinical safety of facilities is very poor due to the risk of cross-infection that fire safety, operational continuity in a quake and comfort are also very poor. Whangarei Hospital's surgical wing is not suitable for continued use by inpatients. The assessment is in a PowerPoint presentation that the Infrastructure Council's board and its chief executive Paul Blair were invited to. We had a presentation from the Northland DHB when we were in a, a forum with several other sort of industry leaders and our board basically found uh, the outcomes there shocking. You know, the, um, the state of the buildings and the health outcomes that are coming out of Northland are, you know, they're, they're almost distressing, really, really poor. It just, uh, it just struck me as, uh, you know, someone has really, really short-termed uh, the people of that region. But the system has stymied the Northland DHB.
It told Insight that it sought approval for a redevelopment worth over a billion dollars, but it was knocked back in 2018 by the Health Ministry saying the funding wasn't there. Two years on, it will in May submit new plans that start at half that amount, a half a billion, and they must be split into bite-sized projects that can be done independently of each other. Sarah Dalton, representing salaried medical specialists, likens it to a lolly scramble for funding and says senior doctors in Northland are incredibly frustrated. They agree with the DHB that there needs to be significantly improved facilities, but the process, you know, the whole bidding process is immensely frustrating. It's really expensive. So if you look at the time and the money that has gone into developing the business cases at Northland to basically nil effect thus far. Northland DHB declined to be interviewed by Insights. Many health boards prefer not to talk about their infrastructure inadequacies, but instead focus on trumpeting their new building projects. Despite requests, several DHBs refused to release their risk registers to Insight, saying they feared any negative publicity would put people off seeking medical care. But you can only hide leaks, mould and sewage in the walls for so long. County's Monaco DHB tried that at Middlemore Hospital. But two years ago, RNZ revealed that rotting medical blocks had not been fixed for a decade. The news was quickly picked up by other media and the exposure brought hospital underfunding to a very public head. Jacinda Ardern's government promptly and repeatedly blamed National for this delayed repair work. I've always uh, said that from the beginning we thought it would be bad, we didn't know it would be this bad. And the public is seeing just a snapshot of it now. The state of Middlemore Hospital uh, I think is emblematic of what we're seeing across the board. At the same time, in March 2018, the Health Minister David Clark told RNZ he had not been warned about Middlemore and was shocked to discover there had never been a national DHB stock take. I have asked for a national asset management plan. This is the kind of information that I've been receiving in opposition for a long time. It's the kind of information has been confirmed in government. And I'm the first health minister, as far as I'm aware, to ask for such a plan. It will give us a comprehensive baseline assessment of all buildings in the health sector. The Treasury's estimate back then of what it would cost to fix the country's hospitals was $14 billion over 10 years. Tauranga Hospital, Kaimai Tunnel... Lifts and escalators, very poor. Now, two and a half years on, David Clark has finally got the stock take he ordered. Our health system did not have a standardised record across the health system of what the assets were, and we've got talking tens of billions of dollars worth of assets here, and when they would need replacing, and I think that's shocking. So what does it show? Does it confirm DHB reports that a fifth of hospital buildings are not fit for purpose? The stock take uh, tells us what uh, state they're in, yes, and uh, that many of them are not fit for purpose. You don't want to get down into the details of the I don't want to get into the details of the state. Can you say, though, because you have said, does it confirm that you need $14 billion over the next decade? Uh, it, it does. It, to me, to my mind, what, what I see when I look at these papers is that the Treasury's estimate of needing $14 billion spent in our, in our health system uh, is not um, out of the ballpark and our building programme as a country will need to go out beyond 10 years. So uh, we're looking at prioritising what there is immediately. Um, it's, it's really important that we get that initial investment right, that we deal with the worst uh, assets early on and make sure that we do have a plan for how we prioritise into the future. 
I'm Phil Pennington, and you're listening to an Insight programme investigating the crumbling state of hospital buildings. The Minister's baseline stock take is providing a picture of the scale of the problems. Based on that, a national asset management plan is being worked on by the Ministry and engineering firm Becker. But translating that plan into actual construction in a workable sequence that's affordable, that's a real Gordian knot. David Mates is the DHB boss with the most building experience, having led Canterbury's post-quakes rebuild. He says the country cannot afford to miss this chance. You know, over the last uh, 10 to 15 years, there's been a limited amount of new investment into significant hospital infrastructure. And what we've now got is a bow wave of infrastructure that is needing to be built. Any solution to this is going to need to be in a staged process over many years and done in a way of ensuring um, existing infrastructure is maintained and kept going uh, while new infrastructure is being built. Mr Mates has his own half a billion dollar building headache. An acute services hospital that's two years behind schedule, partly due to having to fix thousands of defects, and that will already be at capacity when it opens this year. His senior medical staff have put a lot of blame for that on the Ministry having too much say in the project. For his part, David Mates believes the way things get built must be improved. Choices and decisions in a constrained capital environment, uh, those tend to be made much more in an isolated or siloed approach as opposed to a, um, underpinned by a cohesive national plan. The Ministry of Health insists the new work outlining the problem and the planning will put it in a much better position in the coming year than it's ever been. DHBs have been forced to supply the data, but the question is now, will they buy in? That question is a fraught one. In the past, DHBs have been known to misrepresent projects just to avoid scrutiny from Wellington. There are difficulties with funding, especially in the teeth of the pandemic, and the construction industry is pushed to get workers. In addition, the health boards have to place their faith in successive governments to carry on with whatever long-term plan emerges. Nationals Health spokesperson Michael Woodhouse indicates that if he becomes minister, it's likely that support will be there. It's a good thing to do, but it's something that should have been being done by the DHBs as part of their planning cycle. So to say that it wasn't happening... I don't think is accurate. But what I would say is that it is going to be helpful to combine the DHB's plans into a national plan because what we have seen under both the two previous governments is a degree of competition for capital and limited resources in construction, the consequence of which is is that some projects may have been delayed unduly. But he believes bad buildings have copped too much of the blame and been used to cover up for what he says is the government's slack management. He pledges to remedy that by reintroducing and enforcing targets on DHBs, such as maximum treatment waiting times. Michael Woodhouse doubts the fix required will add up to $14 billion. My sense is that, that it'll be lower than that. I've got a reasonable handle on, on where the buildings are at. And one of the things that uh, we can't do is plunge ourselves into very large capital projects without knowing that we can pay for it. Whatever the size of the bill, National is open to public-private partnerships to fund construction. 
However, Michael Woodhouse's only campaign pledge is that there will be no charges for public health services. The chief executive of the Infrastructure Council, Paul Blair, urges the country to look to the likes of Canada for funding models. This government has said that um, health is one area that's off the table in terms of um, alternative financing, um, which is interesting because, you know, um, it is something that we've seen done really well overseas that uh, not the health delivery but the, the, the buildings themselves are sometimes provided by alternative finance. And, I mean, we've got to remember that we've got people like Booker and Southern Cross and other providers here that are willing to invest. So the government doesn't always need to invest its money but it does need to be willing to take a whole-of-system approach. Whangare Hospital, Central Block, high number of seismic, fire separation and asbestos issues. Bay of Plenty Hospital, community nursing and mental health. Back at Palmerston North Hospital, in a strengthened shed, two big blue refurbished boilers are heating water and shooting steam to the laundry that can clean 90 tonnes of linen a week for 60 HBs, along with water and steam to the theatres for sterilising units and to the cramped wards. The facilities manager, Liam Greer, is proud at the upgrades here that have kept pace with demands. So we've increased our emergency diesel supply from nine and a half thousand litres to a hundred thousand litres which gives us up to seven days we could go off the grid for example we could lose Maui and we could run these on diesel for seven days. Without this back office type of building many projects nationwide just won't get off the ground or stay on the ground. Liam Greer's job includes preparing for earthquakes. We restrain them for not only vertical but horizontal movement because that's one thing that that Christchurch also found it wasn't they're jumping up and down was the fact that you get a you know, an eight-tonne MRI machine starts moving left to right. He's tripled how much thermal imaging they do. This has helped him spot several electrical weaknesses that could have caused a fire. And the hospital is halfway through replacing the 50-year-old cables themselves. Because now, Palmerston North needs the extra power. Well, I showed you the new build 20 years ago. That was exciting. In the last 20 years, this is the most significant moment. That excitement Dr Jeff Brown is talking about is $26 million scored by Mid-Central, its share of $300 million in DHB infrastructure spending announced by the government last month. This is a game changer, this, this $26 million. Combine that with the uh, new uh, money for the acute mental health unit and the linear accelerators. The hospital will get its first cardiac treatment or catheterisation unit and extra elbow room for dialysis, intensive care in the emergency department. Alberto Ramirez will get two new operating theatres, albeit small ones. It, it, it is like, like, you know, like bread coming from, from heaven, yes. For us, in, in that respect it is. Yeah. You can already feel it in the corridors. That just that, that yeah. idea that we're yeah. now getting some traction... Is, is translating through into morale. However, the $300 million for hospitals equated to just 2.5% of the $12 billion infrastructure package, which focuses on road building. It is small change in the scheme of things, both for Palmerston North's patients and in terms of a national asset management plan. It's only a patch. It's only a very small uh, temporal remedy uh, for us for the next five to seven years before we go for a full build of, of an acute block. 
The government this week announced a half a billion dollar health package to combat COVID-19. Part of it is to add to the 221 intensive care ventilators across the country. The stock take and national rebuild plan must pick up from there. That programme was written and presented by Phil Pennington. Next week, Insight investigates the support we give to families caring for disabled children. I'm Philippa Tony, and that's all from Insight for today. Great to have you listening, and do join us again next time.